Luke chapter 2. And we'll read a very familiar passage of Scripture today. Let's begin reading with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we come before you today thankful for this season that we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would not gloss over these things. May familiarity not be a hindrance to us. May it never keep us from seeing your glory. I pray that now as we look to your word that you would make it live to us. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. 
that we may hear these things afresh. That the lost would hear and be saved. And that Christians would hear and be moved to worship and obedience. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work these things in us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. We followed this Christmas story so far. Two weeks ago, we looked at Luke chapter 1 when the angel came to Mary and presented that impossible news to her that she, though a virgin, would conceive, not of man, but of the Holy Spirit, and would bring forth a son, and that this son would be called the Son of the Highest, the Son of God, the long-expected Messiah. And then last week, we turned back to Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 1 and saw Joseph, who no doubt scoffed when Mary told, her, told him her story. I promise it was an angel. I promise this child is from God. I'm telling the truth. Yeah, Mary, I hear you. He made up his mind that he was going to put her away quietly, divorce her quietly, because as far as he was concerned, she had been unfaithful. But God in His perfect timing sent an angel to Joseph also. And it had to be that way because there's no other way he would have been convinced. The angel shows up to Joseph, brings the same news to him that he had brought to Mary. And adds a little, not just that he is Savior, but that his name would be called Jesus our Savior because he will save his people from their sins. So the story continues. And this passage in Luke chapter 2, which is familiar to us, I've simply broken it down into three headings. Three things that we see in this text. One, Joseph journeying. Two, angels announcing. And three, shepherds sharing. Let's look at these three headings together. Number one, Joseph journeying. Verse one, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, some have criticized Luke over some of the details of his story because he mentions a man named Quirinius governing Syria and the, the timing of this census with the men who, who Luke mentions doesn't match up with what was known for a long time in modern archaeology. But Luke is meticulous in his attention to detail. And when we come to these stories, sometimes we wonder why he included these things. Some of these details that don't seem to have any relevance on the story itself. But we have to remember that Luke wrote it to an audience that was familiar with the people he was writing about. When he said that it was when Caesar Augustus ordered that all the world should be registered, and that it was while Quirinius was governing Syria, the people who read this text read that and said, Oh, I know when that was. I know that date. Unfortunately, nobody wrote it down for us. We can't tell you exactly when Jesus was born. That would be exciting. Some people would probably make that an idol, and that's why God didn't allow us to know that. But even though people criticize Luke's accuracy and have for many years, over and over and over again... Archaeological evidence and all the findings that have come through um, the, the study of man have done nothing but vindicate Luke and his details. 
So let me just say this in passing because I don't need archaeological evidence to tell me that God's Word is God's Word. But it is encouraging to know that what we believe by faith is supported and cannot be disputed by even, even secular scientists, archaeologists, academics. Amen? That's encouraging. We have God's Word. This Caesar Augustus that he mentions here is Octavius. Charles is familiar with our Roman history, so this is nothing new to him. Uh, Octavius was the grandnephew and adopted son of Julius Caesar. Now, during Julius's time, there was always a power struggle. There was never really a time of peace and when people fully submitted to his rule, thus his death. But once he died, Octavius, this grandnephew, this adopted son, rose to power and through a series of events obtained this undisputed supremacy. No one questioned his power, his authority over Rome. And in fact, he was the first person that the Roman Senate named emperor. He was the emperor of Rome. And they thought so highly of Octavius that once the Senate had declared him as emperor, they decided to honor him with this name, Augustus. It's a name that we've heard, something we're familiar with. We live 30 day, 31 days out of our year that have been named in honor of him in the month of August. But the name Augustus means exalted one. They thought of Octavius, this Caesar Augustus, as one who had been highly exalted. He was considered himself a god, even the son of a god. Which is ironic considering who was born during his reign. Augustus means exalted one. He was a god to the Romans. And according to Luke, what we have here in chapter 2, he decided to exercise his authority by taking a census. You know, like a good politician. You have to make sure you're getting your fair share of taxes. So verse 4 says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now there's something interesting to consider here. The angels have announced to Mary and to Joseph that the son that Mary carries is the Messiah. He is the promised king who will fulfill the law and the prophets. But they live in Nazareth. We know the story. They don't. Remember what the prophets predicted. Micah said, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Though you are a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Oh, he's talking about none other than the Christ, the Messiah. The prophet said he would be born in Bethlehem. They're 90 miles away in Nazareth. 
And I don't know if this had crossed Mary's mind or Joseph's mind, if it even occurred to them that they didn't live in the place that the Messiah was promised to be born. God has to do something to get not yet born Messiah from Nazareth to Bethlehem. How do you get the promised Messiah to be born of a virgin from Nazareth to Bethlehem, 90 miles away, and she's almost due? I'm just going to tell you, Kelby wouldn't let me take her to the beach after seven months pregnant. And they've got hospitals. We had a car, air conditioning, heat, all the comforts that you could imagine. Here's Mary coming near the due date. And Joseph finds out there's a census. Now he's probably frustrated. I don't know if any of you have been frustrated by any government mandates at all. It's just a shot in the dark. But he was frustrated, I'm sure. He has a pregnant wife. She's near to be due. They don't need to be traveling 90 miles away where there aren't hospitals. There's no guarantee they'll have a place to stay when they get there. It's not an easy ride. Yet God used the decree of a pagan emperor who considered himself to be God. He used a government mandate, if you will, to accomplish what he had purposed to do from eternity past. He's a pretty big God. He inconvenienced the entire known world under the rule of Rome to go be registered with this census to make sure everybody's paying their taxes to get one family from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, let's bring it home for a second. There are plenty of things in your life and mine that are frustrating to us. They're inconvenient. We don't know why they have to happen that way. I won't take the opportunity to criticize the government. That's a debate for another time. But sometimes, even our own government does things that drive us bananas. But whatever is going on in your life with you personally, or even on a national or a global scale, whatever happens in all of history and all of creation is under the sovereign rule of Almighty God who will use it and uses it on purpose to accomplish what He has planned from eternity past. We can trust Him. Verse 6, he says, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This is the main event. This is what everything else in all of human history, has led to. Since even the Garden of Eden, through Israel's captivity, their deliverance, their wandering in the wilderness, their 
captivity again with the Assyrians and with the Babylonians and now with Rome. Everything that God has brought to pass in all of human history led to this moment in verse 6 and 7 of Luke chapter 2. And how simple a thing it was. How humble this moment was. It's almost anticlimactic. While they were there, she delivered. A baby was born, and she laid him in a manger. It doesn't feel that exciting, does it? There really is a contrast of kings in this passage. Because you've got Augustus, highly exalted, flaunting his exaltation, flaunting his power, demonstrating it by literally moving the whole world to do what he wants them to do. And then you have Christ, who stepped away from his glory and humbled himself and became a baby in a manger. Philippians 2 Verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and came in the likeness of men. The most amazing event in all of human history that God Almighty would come to walk among his rebellious creation as a human being. So humble. So lowly, a baby in a manger. Your life might be messy, but guess what? Jesus isn't above messy. Think about where he was born. You know, when we see the nativity scenes in people's yards or even in, a, in, in church plays and things like that, it's always so nice and neat and clean, tidy. There's not poop on the floor. There's not the mess from a woman who just gave birth. There's not the smell of the animals. But Jesus submitted himself, he humbled himself to enter into a mess of a world. Literally. To be your savior. That's Joseph journeying. Two, we see angels announcing. announcing. Verse 8, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now the angels make another visit. Doesn't say it's Gabriel, but I kind of wonder if it was. He was already on the road. You know, he's, he's, had, he's had a busy season. Zacharias, Mary, probably Joseph. Now the shepherds. Shepherds are nobodies. You know, there was a PhD student a while back who was going to write his dissertation and wanted to live among shepherds for a while and study them before he wrote his dissertation. And he went and asked these shepherds if he could live with them and watch them and study them and take notes and do his research on how they lived their lives. And you know what they said? 
Why? We don't have a home. We don't go see our families. We don't bathe. (laughs) We live outside. We move around. We hang out with sheep. We're nobodies. Why would you want to study us? You think about the way they live their lives. There are no vacations. They're either your own sheep and you can't do anything but take care of them, or somebody else didn't want to have to take care of them, so you got hired to take care of their sheep. Either way, you're the one stuck doing the job that nobody wants. There are no vacations. You're perpetually unclean ceremonially. You can't even go to the temple, bring a sacrifice and worship. Shepherds weren't even allowed to give testimony in court because they were such lowly citizens. Yet it was to shepherds that the angels came. Out of the silence, the stillness of the night, only disturbed by the occasional bam, there's an angel. And it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Old King James, they were sore afraid. That's a natural response to the holiness and the glory of God. You remember when Jesus came along to call his disciples and he had them cast the net on the other side of the boat after they had fished all night and caught nothing. They bring in this great catch of fish to the point that the nets are breaking and everything's falling out. And what does Peter say? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Not, hey, that was a cool trick. Let's go into business together. You can catch fish. No, he knew that he was in the presence of holiness. He saw in some veiled way the glory of God. And he said, get away from me. Depart from me. I'm sinful. Again, when the disciples were on the sea, in the storm, they were afraid. They said, Lord, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus wakes up from his sleep. He comes up on deck. And what does he say? Peace. Be still. The waves, the winds, they ceased immediately. You would think that the disciples would stop being afraid. They'd wipe the sweat off their brow and say, Glad you were here, Jesus. No, they saw what He had done. And Mark says, They feared exceedingly. And said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey Him? When you're in the presence of holiness, when you're in the presence of the glory of God, it's not just a jump around party fun time. It's a sincere moment where we realize our own sinfulness, our own unworthiness, and there is reason to fear. An angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid and rightly so. But the angel didn't leave them to fear, did he? The very first thing he said in verse 10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. 
Yes, there's glory. Yes, you're in the presence of holiness. Yes, there's reason to fear. But I want to ensure you don't have to be afraid. Do not fear. Why? For, this is why, behold, I bring you good tidings. I'm here with good news. The news that the angel brought would dispel fear. Not just for the shepherds, but for all who believed their news. Because of what the angels announced, because of the one who was coming, there is no longer a reason to fear at the thought of holiness and the thought of God's glory. He said, I bring you good tidings. That's actually, I bring good tidings is one word in Greek. Euangelizomai. Which is often translated, you've heard, preach the gospel. Now I told you before when we studied the Great Commission that that command to preach the gospel doesn't mean that somebody puts on a suit and a tie and stands up in the pulpit with their notes and and, and, and explains the scriptures for a congregation. The command to preach the gospel is a command to share good news. And that's what the angels say. They say, I'm here to preach good news. I bring you good tidings. And what's the good news? What is the good tidings? What is the gospel that this angel is bringing? The gospel is this. Great joy. Which shall be to all people. I don't know if you've heard it anywhere before about a gospel being for all people. I think Matthew said something like, make disciples of all the nations. Is that familiar? He says, I bring to you good tidings. This good news is great joy. And it's not just for you, but it is for everyone. For there is born to you. To who? To you. And you think about that for being a shepherd. There is born to you this day. What does Isaiah say? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Let me just go ahead and do the homework for you. You don't just have to say this to shepherds. I'm going to say it to you. For to you this day is born in the city of David. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now that's one whole sermon in itself. It's even got three points like a good Baptist sermon. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Jesus is Savior. That's exactly what the angel told Joseph. His name will be called Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. Let me just say this again in case you've missed it. Because of your sin... You deserve judgment from God. But God loves you. And He sent His Son through the womb of a virgin. Took her all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 
witnessed by shepherds, so that He could grow up and die for your sins and become your Savior. He will forgive you. He will give you eternal life if you trust in Him. He's not just a Savior, but He is Christ. He is the promised Messiah. He's the long-expected King. He fulfills all the prophets. He's Savior, He's Christ, and He is Lord. There's this ridiculous idea among some professed Christians that you can have Jesus as your Savior without Him being your Lord. That you come to Him and you get saved and He forgives your sins and you have the option at that moment to go on living your life and say, yep, my sins are forgiven, got my get out of hell free card, I'm good. Or you can go the other way and say, yes, Jesus saved me, I think I'll make Him my Lord as well. You cannot make Jesus your Lord. He is your Lord. You must submit to Him. He is Savior. He is Christ. And He is your Lord. He is sovereign over you. He has rights to you. He owns you. Verse 12, He gave them a very practical way to identify the baby. There were probably other babies in Bethlehem that night. So He says, this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. If you find a baby, and he happens to be wrapped up in cloths, and he happens to be lying in a manger, you know you found him. He's the one. Don't, don't look at the other babies along the way. That's the one you're looking for. And then in verse 13, it says, And suddenly... This is how I imagine this scene. Have any of you gotten in your car after you were listening to something the day before and maybe what you were listening to was kind of quiet volume so you turned it way up then you got out of the car and forgot to turn it down and then you get in the next day and you crank the car and what's on at that point is a lot louder than it was the day before and you bust a speaker and you know wet your pants I mean just yeah okay <laughs> we, we've all had that experience maybe not the wedding but that's how I imagine this scene. You've got the quietness of the night. You've got the shepherds in the dark. Nothing but the sound of sheep. An angel shows up and talks. And then suddenly, boom, again, suddenly there was with this angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Not just one angel now, but a multitude of heavenly hosts, of the heavenly armies. Praising God and saying, Now, yes, Jesus came humbly. Yes, Jesus came as a servant. He came as a baby in Bethlehem in a manger. But God the Father would not let Him enter this world without praise. This multitude of the heavenly hosts praised God and said, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Glory to God Peace on earth. That's a message. That's a song. We should sing that sometime. The song is God's glory in, in, in the holy, righteous, omnipotent, almighty creator of the universe becoming one of His own creation. Coming in the likeness of sinful flesh. Verse 14. 
Glory is to God in the highest. He is high. He is the exalted one. Sorry, Caesar Augustus. Jesus is king. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Jesus came to make peace. Now we can experience that peace in salvation. Because prior to being born again, we are enemies of God. Scripture tells us you are at war with God if you are still in your sin. But Jesus came to make peace. To forgive sins. To grant eternal life. To restore fellowship between God and man. And we can have peace. And we can experience that peace now. But it's not just peace now. It's future peace. We sing these songs and we sing it as though some kind of Christmas magic is just going to get rid of all the problems in the world. It's not. December 25th will come and go this year and the world will still have problems. But there is a day coming when the King of kings and the Lord of lords will come to the earth again. Not humbly, not as a servant, not as a baby in a manger, but as the holy and righteous King that He is. And He will bring ultimate peace. He will destroy the wicked. He will cast away the unrighteous. He will cleanse the earth and establish His kingdom. And there will be perfect peace for all those who are with Him. Glory to God and the highest, and on earth, peace. We've got Joseph journeying, angels announcing, and shepherds sharing. That's number three, verse 15. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, I mean, it's amazing that they could say anything, but they said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They rightly responded to the word of the angels. They sought out this Savior, this Son of David, this Christ, this Lord. And when they came to where He was, yes, they found Mary, yes, they found Joseph, but the one they came to see was the babe lying in a manger. Verse 17, Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Now that's something that the people who couldn't give testimony in court on earth because they were unworthy as shepherds are the ones that God chose to bear witness, to give testimony to the very birth of Christ into the world. Now that goes to tell me that Jesus didn't just come to save people like Caesar Augustus who think they're something. He didn't say, come to save wealthy or people who have good standing in society alone. Though He did come to save them. He came to save everyone from the top to the bottom. 
even lowly shepherds who probably hadn't had a bath in a while, who had to take care of sheep, who didn't have a place to live. He came to save even them. But those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, contemplative as she was, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. They couldn't help but spread abroad all the things that they had seen and heard. Couldn't help it. And that's the right response for everyone who meets Jesus. Two ways they responded. One, they praised God. They glorified God for the things that they had seen and heard. You know what? When you think about how that you have come to know Christ, if you're a Christian, you've been born again, and you think of all that you've been forgiven, your response ought to be to praise God and glorify Him, worship Him for all that He's done for you. But it doesn't stop with that. They also spread abroad those things that they had seen and heard. How could we not tell the world about this Savior, this Christ, this Lord who has made peace with God for us? How could that not be shared? And then there's the obvious invitation to those who don't yet know Christ. Let it be known to you that Christ the Savior is born. He fulfills the prophets. He is exactly who God said He would be. He died for sinners. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. And you only need to trust Him. Scripture says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Then you'll want to worship Him. And then you'll want to tell others about Him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You again for Your Word and for the privilege that we have to study it, to think on it, and to be changed by it. Lord, I pray that should there be one this morning who doesn't know you, that they would hear your message, your gospel, your good news, and believe. And may we who have heard and believed preach your gospel to all the world and worship you as you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.